Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. So I have a confession to make. I am not much of one for the details. Now, you wouldn't believe that if you'd been in meetings with me this week because we, <laughs> we have been seriously into the details, uh, diving into policy, even punctuation, budgets, live streams, all line items. But that's me in the startup mode, trying to get to know you all a little better. Typically, trust me, I'm much more easygoing. And luckily, I married well. I'll pay attention to the fellowship and the feelings, and Ryan will read the fine print, insurance policies especially. Uh, We come by it naturally. I'll never forget those first few trips to our respective in-laws over Christmas. On the butcher side, the clan gathers and rips open packages in what can only be described as a tinsel-strewn melee, then pound outside to play spike ball or ride the hoverboard or trash talk around the latest board game. And on the other side, the Bonfilios take turns opening packages. What is that? Spending time reading instructions and even looking at the warranties. I'll never forget being introduced to the concept of returning a Christmas gift. In my mind, wrong size, wrong color, wrong person's interest, no need for concern. Those are the details. So imagine my surprise when you could actually take something back to Target and get just what you wanted. So, as you might imagine, this passage that we read for today It isn't necessarily my favorite in the infancy narratives of the Gospel of Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Even with my preaching voice, did you fall asleep yet? It's like when you're in the middle of a fantastic movie and you accidentally push a button and all of a sudden flashes on the screen, please enter your username and password, right? Or you're taking part in a sacred and uplifting worship experience and we stop midstream to remind you of the QR code. Just kidding. Uh, But seriously, Luke's second chapter really starts us off with a healthy dose of details, right? We've moved, we can really see we've moved from the drama of the moment in chapter one, where worlds were just turning, angels flashing, people shouting to a much more methodical tone. And we haven't yet made it to the fearful and quaking shepherds or the singing angels and the pondering Mary. And yes, that is a plug to come to Christmas Eve. But today we enter the city of David from Nazareth in Galilee, why Quirinius is governor and Augustus is emperor to be counted by degree in a registration. Today, we get detail. And so we are led to ask, 
are the promises of God in the details too? Well, the answer is clear that Luke's gospel gives us. It is, after all, an orderly account. You'll remember this from those opening verses of the gospel. The writer sets his intention clearly for his readers. He says, I have decided to write an orderly account for you. Luke, you may remember, the gospel is paired with Acts of the Apostles. It was separated early on in canonizing into those two existing books, but it starts out and scholars still consider how it functions as a whole. Some scholars think Luke Acts reads like a biography, and it does have some similarities with other ancient Near Eastern biographies of the time. That's where those dramatic stories come into play. And the gospel follows very closely this template, documenting the life of a founder with accounts of his deeds and teachings, followed by the succession narratives of the deeds and teachings of his students. But in the end, most scholars point out that Luke is a historian, and it is the details that Luke gives us that makes this happen. Because he is writing a history, he relates his story to a broader time period and to those anchoring events. And that's why we hear about Emperor Augustus and Quirinius of Syria. And as a historian, he's sharing the geographical context of the narrative that unfolds. And we get place names like Nazareth and Galilee, Bethlehem and Judea. And as a historian, the writer of Luke has a concern not just for the biography of Jesus, but for the history of the people of Israel too. After all, Luke Acts is the first Christian apologia, not an apology like an I'm sorry or a confession, but an apologia. And that means that Luke Acts is written as a defense of the Christian positions, of their opinions and actions of this early movement, the audience was primarily Gentiles who were taking up Christianity. And they had to hear of the legacy of Israel and the connection to Jerusalem on the one hand, and the movement's move into the political and religious and social milieu of the Roman-dominated world on the other hand. From the beginning, New Testament scholar Luke Timothy Johnson says that the Gospel of Luke is concerned to connect the church's story to Israel's story. The historian. The Gospel writer develops these details that the birth of the Messiah transforms the measure of the world even as it brings the promises of God to Abraham to their completion. For the Gentiles hearing Luke, the original audience, for us today, it's important to see that God's promises to the Israelites have not been broken, that the people of God have not been betrayed, that the promises made to Israel are still true and are fulfilled in Jesus Christ in a new way. And to prove this point, Luke goes into the details. He's really quite thorough. For example, the language 
Luke uses in this part of the story, the infancy narrative changes. So instead of the elegant Greek of the prologue, we get Aramaic source texts. The talking angels and the singing women move us back to the world of Judges and Ruth, not the high talk of the Holy Roman Empire. The birth narratives really root us in the story of Jesus as the larger story of Israel by the language and the lexicon that it uses. And interestingly, the sequence of events that we've been following over the past few weeks, the sequence of opening scenes, the infancy, narrative, and events, they highlight the action in Jerusalem. If you think about it, the opening story is of Zechariah in the temple. And then the closing vision of this opening scene is actually Jesus' early years where he's back in Jerusalem, right? You remember when Jesus is a boy. This is the only story we get in our canon. But Jesus as a boy is found in the temple discussing scripture with priests on a high holy day. That's the closing scene. And then in the center, if you look for the climax of these literary events, it isn't actually the birth in the manger. And now listen, that's not going to come as a surprise to you because we read the birth today, and it's pretty much without fanfare. And those earliest Christians, they didn't yet have rituals around the birth of Christ, right? There were no Advent candle lighting or Handel's Messiah to be sung. There were no Christmas pageants for them. What a sad thing. But no, the pivotal scene at the center of this opening dialogue is when Jesus is presented in the temple at eight days old, and Simeon, the priest, announces the salvation that Christ brings to the world and the glory that Christ brings to God's people, Israel. We see it again in the details when Luke describes Jesus again and again as the son of David, as well as the son of God. In some texts for this season, the incarnation is what we emphasize, God as Emmanuel, word made flesh. But here in Luke, the son of David appears. Now to me, that seems like a lot less interesting title, but it keeps showing up. It's important, it's emphasized later in the text too. Jesus' genealogy points out David. Jesus himself references the knowledge of King David when he's trying to defend what he does on Sabbath. There's a story in Luke chapter 18 where a blind beggar near Jericho shouts out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when the crowd tells him, quiet down, quiet down, he shouts even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you remember, Luke connects with Acts, and in Peter's speech, following the Spirit's arrival at Pentecost, Peter is clear about the promises of old and the fulfillment in Christ when he says about God testifying about David, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my heart, who will carry out all my wishes. And of this man's posterity, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. That's why this text 
goes to great length to emphasize it as important. That's why when we read this, we hear Jesus was born in the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and the family of David. Did you know that some scholars, some historians actually think that the registration, a census like this run by the Roman Empire, probably would not have moved people out of their current locations, that there was just too much red tape or too much uh, disruption that would have happened if people had gone back to their hometowns. In all likelihood, Joseph and Mary would have stayed put in Nazareth to complete their duties for the empire. However, those particulars are not as important as the writer of Luke's gospel saying, highlighting the theological significance that Jesus would be born in the city of David as the son of David, as the son of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises to David and to Israel. Check the details. It's important and it's true. And the covenant promises of God to the people of Israel are still true. God did not abandon the Israelites, and God will not abandon you. Do you know this word, um, supersessionism? That's kind of a big one to pull out on the fourth Sunday of Advent. But it comes into play during this time of year. This is this idea, Christian concept, that the promises of, of God to the people of Israel have been replaced in Christ. Okay, so it's this idea that the Jews are no longer God's chosen people. At best, supersessionists see Judaism as preparatory, but of little interest otherwise. And at its worst, and we have to confess to a history here, but at its worst, it teaches that the people of Israel have been rejected and punished by God and replaced by the church as God's chosen. There are so many beautiful prophecies and songs we hear in Advent, and they do help us to make sense of Jesus. But Jesus' birth as God on earth does not take those promises away from the people of Israel or from Jews today. And in fact, the writers go to great pains to present details affirming the continuity of God's love and care for Israel. And even with the appearance of a radically new world and a wide open salvation for the world. So maybe you have seen this image on Facebook or Instagram it's a gif, I suppose, or whatever you call those. It's a picture of one side a Christmas tree and on the other side a menorah. Have any of you all seen that yet? One of my friends whose family celebrates both holidays shared that and said this was just a wonderful resource for her to have. And I like it for us as Christians too because neither one of those, the Christmas tree, or the menorah are specifically religious symbols for Christians, right? But they both point to the good news of the promises of God that we know and that we see 
and Christ at Christmas. They both show that Jesus is good news for the promises of God in the past, to the people of Israel, to the Jews, and for the way that God's promises unfold in the future in Jesus Christ in ways that we don't even yet know. This is an important detail. God does not abandon Israel. God will not abandon you. Jesus was a Jewish human being, and that is a detail that cannot be missed. The God we come to know in Jesus is none other than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God that we come to know in Jesus is the light that shines in and for the world. To God be the glory in Christ Jesus our Lord. Time without end. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.